Colossians 1, verse 24. I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 3. Now, that may be confusing for some of us because we have always understood you just stay in the same chapter. We believe the Bible to be inerrant and authoritative. The numbering system came along a little later, so we can work with that some. Now, Colossians 1, verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints to them, God chose to make known how greatly among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you for, and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The idea of the mystery of salvation. Our sermon title for today is this messianic mystery. Uh, we are mystery people. I don't know many of you well. I know some of you better than others. Uh, and if you know me, you realize very quickly that I do like television. And I have had a historical fixation on various TV shows. And whenever you watch television, you realize that some of them are just created to make you laugh. That's the sole purpose for the show. They want you to laugh. And then there are other shows that want to inform you. And those shows are typically uh, about their, their reality style shows. Some of them are even news shows. Uh, and some of our news shows are inadvertently entertaining. You can work through that on your own. And some of the shows that we watch paint with these broad strokes of mystery. Do you remember some of television's greatest mysteries? I mean, we're in Texas. So all of us, uh, many of us, remember in the late 80s when J.R. and Bobby Ewing were running that ranch in Dallas. And everyone wanted to know who shot J.R., just so that I know that I'm not the only one who's familiar. You may remember this. Uh, there are some that are even funnier or, or intended to be funnier. If you watch the television show Chuck on NBC about this guy who worked at Best Buy that was eventually equipped to be a super spy, uh, there was a moment towards the end of the series where his wife had memory loss and could not remember whether or not she knew who he was. And the cliffhanger of the show, not to spoil it, but it's been out for seven years. Uh, the cliffhanger of the show was 
will she ever remember who he is? Most of you watched Friends. And there's a great mystery on Friends. Why did Ross's son Ben just disappear? <laughs> if you were like me from 2004 to 2010, ABC had presented this television show to us about an island. And the show was called Lost. In caps lock even. And they left you at the end of the show with all of these unsolved mysteries. Now we can have a deeper conversation about that because Lost is basically the epicenter of my nerd wheelhouse. Why were there polar bears on the island? The idea of mystery. If you're a note taker, I want you to encourage you to, to write this down. If you're not a note taker, feel free to memorize everything that I say. Uh, the mystery of salvation shapes our mind, our mission, our motivation, and our maturity. One more time for those in the back. The mystery of salvation shapes our mind, our mission, our motivation, and our maturity. At the center of what we'll look at today as this, is this idea of the mystery of Jesus presented to us. And how that affects who we are and what we do. And how that is the centerpiece, if you will, for Christianity. But the first thing that Paul says is that he rejoices in his sufferings, which in and of itself is a very terrible phrase that most of us don't want to sign up for. We don't want to have anything to do with suffering. So let me give you a little backdrop of Paul. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, he is called Saul, and he travels around persecuting and killing Christians. If you've ever heard this story, just wave at me. Let me know that you know. He travels around killing Christians. He sees this bright light. Jesus says to him, hey, I'm the one that you're persecuting. I want you to go to this place, and someone will meet you there, and they will cure you of the blindness that I've just dropped on you out of the blue. When he gets to this place, God is already having a conversation with another follower of Jesus named Ananias. And Ananias, when God meets with him, does not ask the question that Saul asks. Because Saul says, well, uh, who are you? Ananias replies, well, yes, Lord. Ananias is then given direction from God to go to where Saul is. Saul, the killer of Christians. And I want you to lay your hands on him. I want you to restore his sight. And Ananias does what any of us would do if we were being sent to someone who would like to murder us. He says, hold up, wait a minute, put a little context in it, help me out. Why are you telling me to go to this person? He lets him know that he has done the math. Saul kills Christians. Plus, I am a Christian. Equals, Saul would like to kill me. Let's hold off of restoring his sight. I prefer blind Saul. <laughs> Acts 9, verse 15 and 16, God says to Ananias, Hey, just go. Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. That's most of us. And the kings and the children of Israel. Verse 16 of Acts 9. 
I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. So Saul then gives us this little... So he says he rejoices in his sufferings for your sake, this church at Colossae. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. So again, I'm going to rejoice in my sufferings. So when we talk about his sufferings and what those mean, we have to have a little bit of understanding as to the breadth of those. Because if we're not careful, we think, oh, Saul lived a kind of difficult life on occasion. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives us a quick recap of his sufferings. He was whipped with 39 lashes on five different occasions. Because 39 is one shoulder 40, and 40 is what's supposed to kill you. He was beaten with rods three different times. He was pummeled with stones once. He was shipwrecked three times. He was adrift at sea for one night and one day. He had journeys that were frequent. There were dangers everywhere. As a matter of fact, dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from his own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger, 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 stranger, danger, stranger, danger from false brothers, toil and hardship. Paul also had sleepless nights. He was hungry and thirsty on more than one occasion. He was cold and exposed. And he carried the pressure of the anxiety of all of the churches on his shoulders. On top of this, he had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan that God allowed to be there, that clung to him so he would not brag or boast. He's told, he tells us that he rejoices in his sufferings. He doesn't rejoice because of them. That's a terrible idea. But in the middle of this, he says, I can rejoice. Well, why? Because all that would oppose Christianity had focused their energy and effort on Saul, who became Paul. And in having him arrested and in chains in the book of Colossians, they believe that he has been stopped and therefore the movement of Christianity has been stopped. However, Saul, who became Paul, realizes and even affirms, you've not stopped Christianity because this will continue what Christ has started. You see that in the phrase where he says this, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So for the sake of clarity, we as believers in Jesus believe fully and wholly in this truth. At the center of our faith is the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is central It is of utmost importance. And when Paul uses the word lacking, many of us would say, what is that supposed to mean? What Saul, who became Paul, is saying to us in Colossians chapter 1, when he uses this term lacking, is that Christ, in his redemptive work on the cross, and in what took place in his resurrection, has set in motion what God will do to redeem men and women from that point forward. Yet Saul sees his calling from God as to be an ongoing messenger for the truth that Jesus is central 
And when he says that he is going to fill up what is lacking, he is saying that I'm going to press forward in the face of all difficulty because I believe that Jesus really is better. Paul talks about sufferings. In the modern church, we don't even worry about suffering. People bail and complain about churches simply because we do things that don't make them comfortable. Pastor, we would love to have a hot tub in the middle of our sanctuary. Could you make that happen? Pastor, we don't like the food at our life group because it's not gluten-free, and so we want to go to another life group. Have you examined their menu? No, but we're trusting the Lord. Pastor, I know my Bible is in English, which is what I speak, but, but you're not breaking down every bit of Greek Bible minutia, Greek which I don't speak, that I heard from my pastor in 1994 that may or may not be accurate. Pastor, the music. Can we just talk about the music for a second? The music is too loud. The music is too soft. The music is just right. What, are you Goldilocks? <laughs> the preacher. Let's talk about the preacher for a second. He's too funny. He's too long. He's too long. His sermons are too long. He's too attractive. <laughs> Paul and the other church suffered because of the gospel, and sometimes we want to live in a way where the gospel suffers for us. This mindset. That we would see the call of Christ because of the mystery of salvation as something that fixes our minds on the person of Jesus. And that we are modeled in how we live in the face of difficulty by Him and by Paul who continues suffering's part of this in a really broken world. You don't have to do much to realize the world's broken. I don't have to open the Bible for you. Just watch the news. Chaos this week in every single direction. Republicans argue with Democrats and Democrats argue with Republicans. People are even arguing with libertarians. <laughs> we watch stories of families who suffered. We watch as the dad grieves because his children have been mistreated. The world is broken. And the whole of Christianity says for us to exist in this broken world, we must set our minds on Jesus and realize that the brokenness of this world has not undone him. At the center of this is the mystery of salvation. You get three verses of it, 25 through 27. First, you see mindset in verse 24. Secondly, you see the mystery of salvation, 25 through 27. This of his body that is the church was the end of verse 24 of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints so 
For the sake of understanding, lots of us are familiar with Bible stories and you can tell me about David and you can tell me about Goliath and you can tell me about Abraham and you can tell me about Isaac and you can tell me about Rudolph and the rest of the Bible stories. And whenever we look at these Bible stories, they exist in and of themselves because for sure we want to hear Bible stories. What we miss when our mind is one where we would look at the Bible stories in and of themselves is that there is one recurring story throughout this. And that recurring story is the redemptive story of Jesus. So when you look at the story of Abraham and Isaac, we see the story of a father who offered up his son as a sacrifice because that's telling us a better story that is Jesus. When we look at the story of David and Goliath, the reason that we read that story is not so that we see ourselves as David, though everyone likes to think that they are David with a slingshot. As a matter of fact, we as a whole are the nation of Israel who stood afraid and allowed a champion to stand in our place. That's the better story of Jesus. And the whole Old Testament is unfolding to tell this story. And Paul says that story, the mystery that we've been taking everything towards, is now fully revealed in Jesus. Now, now hear me when I say this. The mystery of salvation revealed to us in Jesus is the peace that you cannot remove. If you've ever played Jenga, and I would think you've played Jenga... You all know that you are making your best effort to not remove the peace that will cause everything else to tumble. Unless you get distracted by games and just want them to be over. <laughs> 745 kids, oops. <laughs> Hypothetically speak. The centerpiece of the gospel is that Jesus holds it all together. The mystery of salvation. Hear me. If we remove the mystery, then our mindset is unnecessary. Our motivation is mute. Our mission is dead. And our maturity is impossible. The old cliche is that we would keep the main thing the main thing. What's center to this? What is this message? And that is that God has united Jews and Gentiles from throughout history. In the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that we are one. Not because of the color of our skin or where we came from or how much money our family has. But that we are united in this Jesus. The mystery hidden for ages is what 26 says. Verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So for the believer in Jesus, we are consistently holding the mystery of salvation as center. Because we, as those who would claim to know him, believe that Christ is in us. But more than just knowing that Christ in us, we know who Christ is. Because in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So for the believer who has 
encountered the mystery of salvation, life and the way that we act, react, and interact with it is shaped by this truth. The fullness of God is alive in you as a believer because Jesus is in you. Now this does not mean that you get your own planet or anything weird like that. But what this means for us is that everything that we looked at and said that is impossible for me to choose that, those things are now possible. So for every ounce of rage or discontent or the idea that we could never suffer, all of those things are muted because of who lives in us. We are people who are not just sinners saved by grace, but we are God's grace-filled champions because we are God's Jesus-filled people. And we would see that this is about so much more than just having right answers. It's knowing the right person. The hope of glory. Glory is a really big deal. We all want to experience glory. You may say, I don't even know what glory means. It's a really overused Bible word. We've used it so much that we've neutered it. But we're all glory chasers. Here's how I know you're a glory chaser. When you post pictures from your vacation, the places are never lame. I grew up in a part of Chattanooga called East Lake. People did not go on vacations there. They came to do mission trips there. <laughs> when we go on trips, you choose magnificent places. I watched on Facebook this week as a person that I know, I'm sure they were at Disney World for about three months. <laughs> they had a cabin at the top of Everest. We want to see glory. And we forget that glory is in us. Christ in you, the hope of seeing unseen things, knowing unbelievable truths. What are you seeking after? That's why we watch news stories and that's why we want to watch and see what happens with royal people when they get married. We want to live beyond the ordinary and we forget that the extraordinary resides in us. The mystery of salvation is the peace that holds it all together. You can set your mind because of it. In the face of whatever suffering you may go through, you can also see this, that it gives you these two things. One, the mission of the saints, we see, and the motivation of the Savior. Verses 28 and 29, mission of the saints, the motivation of the Savior. 28, Him we proclaim. For those of you who aren't sure as to, the, as to how pronouns function, this Him is a Jesus word. Jesus is who we proclaim. I think if we're not careful, in, we try not to offend people, and in trying not to offend people, we talk about God because everyone talks about God's. 
And God is this general sense that He exists. And in the ethereal sense, God made everything and we want to make sure that we worship God because God makes sure that it rains when we need rain and the sun shines when we need sunshine. But this God is not someone who just wants us to know of Him. This God has chosen to make Himself known to us. And this God has a particular name. You know God because of Jesus. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you do not have a relationship with God. And for every one of us who try to sidestep the suffering of interacting with our lost neighbors and we give ourselves excuse after excuse because they talk about God, what we find is this. If your neighbor does not have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus, they do not have a relationship with God. Our hope in this world is that we would proclaim Jesus. So suffer a little. Struggle a little. Work hard at that. I have to work hard at that. Do you know how easy it is to pull into my driveway and go in my house and lock the door? That's easy for every one of us. But that doesn't seem to be what we're called to. We proclaim Jesus. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So here's what I would encourage you not to do. So here's what I would discourage you from doing. This does not mean that to proclaim Jesus, you need to go make massive signs telling your neighbors to repent. And you want to rebuke them. Have a nice day. Jesus loves you. I would hold off of those signs. When he talks about the idea of warning and teaching with wisdom, we are reminded of the words of Jesus where he says that believers are to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So if your friend, family, neighbor, whomever has a problem with Jesus, make sure that it's a problem with Jesus and not a problem with you. Because one of the things that we see in believers all the time is that we claim that we're suffering for Jesus' sake when in actuality people don't like you because you're a jerk. Approach this wisely shrewdly and innocently because the story of Jesus is offensive enough because you're telling people that they are sinners in need of a savior and we are in a culture where we are our own saviors we make sure that we have the things that we need and we know why we need them Every third house in my neighborhood has cool toys. Attempting to save ourselves. Innocently, shrewdly we approach. That's the mission of the saints and that's the motivation of our Savior. Warning and teaching with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So, again, 
we're looking in light of what Jesus says. To present someone mature in Christ. What does that mean? It means that we interact with those around us not simply to see them converted but to see them growing in Jesus. The goal of God given to us as believers from Jesus is to make disciples of all nations. That we will be disciple people. That we will be maturing in our faith. And as we mature in our faith, it will affect things around us. Jesus has let us know to make disciples. Paul would wholeheartedly agree with that when he says we want to present those mature in Christ. Saying, because this is why I toil. For this I toil with all of his energy. That he powerfully works in me. Now that word energy, when it's used in the New Testament, it's a supernatural word. It's not what we think of when we think of energy. It is God doing something that we could not do if he were not alive in us as our hope of glory. It's doing things that God gives us to do because God gives us the power to do them. It's understanding what God would say to us because God has given us the scriptures to say them. It's the Spirit of God alive in his people pushing and pressing us beyond struggle and safety because the gospel never seems to be about safety in this world. I want you to know... Finally, we, we see this, the motivation of the Savior. We see maturity and how that maturity happens. It happens through solidarity. That we as followers of Jesus have a personal faith that is linked up with other believers. So when you say other believers, you mean other believers who are in my life stage, right? No, no I don't think so. You mean I'm supposed to, like, so if I'm a dad of four kids, I'm supposed to be in a life group with everyone who's a dad of four kids, and we're supposed to be in life, four kidding together. Or I'm a new mom, so I want to make sure that I'm new momming with someone else. Never been a new mom, ever. I'm super old, so I want to be in a life group with people who are super old. That's for another church, where none of us are super old. That doesn't seem to be what's happening in the New Testament. The church of Colossae didn't get... Their, pre their preferences did not drive who they met with. Well, well, but... But... What about this? Like... I know that they didn't get who they met with, but they were super persecuted. And we're not super persecuted, so we cannot just, can't we just do what we want? I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all those we have not seen, who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit 
together in love. To reach all the fullness. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery. Which is Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This means that a faith family should grow together revolving around not what is alike in us, so that's not bad. Not revolving around what things we have planned on our calendar, though events aren't terrible. But that we would never lose sight of the idea that at the core of what we do is Jesus alive. And Jesus being alive in us saves us, sends us, and shapes us. They keep using the word mystery here. When I think of mysterious things, I think of incredible things. Dare I say inexplicable things. What things does God happen to be doing in our body... that can be explained apart from us. I love our facility and I'm grateful for it and God has provided that for us. And we're working hard to take care of that and make sure that we are good stewards of this resource. But if the greatest thing that we ever see God do is provide for us a place to meet, it is for Him to just make sure we've got brick and mortar to put our heads under on a Sunday morning. That's explainable by our own power. But if as a church we would beg God, God, yeah, use all the stuff you've given us, but do things that we can't explain if you are not here. Do things that we cannot describe if it are, we're not for, but God did this. Because a place to meet is great. But it's terrible if we forget why we meet. Proclaiming the mystery of the glory of God shown to us in Jesus. So we proclaim Jesus. I pray that I proclaim Jesus, that you proclaim Jesus. That when people talk about our church, those people are really serious about being in love with Jesus. And it affects the way they do everything. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?
Jesus, I pray that we will be serious about you. That we'll never forget that we're knit together because of you. United with one another because of you. That our hearts are, are alive because of you. That when we read the Bible, we read the Bible to see you. That when we pray, we pray knowing that we pray by the power of your name. That you've called us to things and sent us to things. And, and all the things that we do have to be shaped by you. That we meet in this space because you ordained that. But God, don't let us lose sight of you. Holding fast and firm to you the mystery of salvation revealed to the saints. Let us pray for things that we cannot describe apart from you. We ask this in Jesus' name.